Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> Good everybody, welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast on the Fireside Podcast Network. Myself, your host Silas Martin, my co-host as always Christian Reynolds. And today we have got a couple of cards to get into, uh, but first we got to talk about it just real quick. Jose Aldo retired from MMA uh, from the looks of it. I feel like it's probably pretty serious um, and we're not going to like go into a whole thing because there's, there's a bunch of people who are going to be doing whole career respect retrospectives on Jose Aldo and there's already a ton of stuff on the fight site that you, that you should go read um regarding the whole career of one of the greatest mixed martial arts of all time so um I guess a bunch of people are going to be saying oh yeah you got to go back and watch watch like the Chad Mendez fight and all, all of these you know um amazing like clinical dismantlings from his UFC title run but I'm going to say fuck that go back and watch like his first few fights from the WEC when he was just this like huge athletic wrecking machine, the likes of which the sport was simply not ready for. And he was just fucking throwing people out of the cage. That that's my favorite Jose Aldo that I choose to remember. But anyway, I uh, uh, wish Jose Aldo a happy and healthy retirement. And just, yeah, we'll have to say thank you to, one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time, not just for all of the amazing fights, but more for the, the mark that he left on the sport and being someone who genuinely raised the level of MMA. You got anything to add to that, Christian? Yeah, he's one of the greats, but he's also like flat out one of the best fighters ever. Yeah. Which is like yeah. a separate argument. And That's a not- distinction to make. Yeah, like someone like Dominic Cruz is one of the greatest bantamweights ever, but I wouldn't put him in the top three of best despite being fantastic whereas aldo is flat out maybe in his prime the best fighter overall of ever and like that's that's not a low bar at all like there's some very skilled fighters that were nowhere near as successful resume wise but he had it all like he, he could hang with anyone on the feet he could like out scramble pretty much everyone and it wasn't until he was very late in his career to where that aspect started falling off. He just had so much skill depth that even as he regressed pretty pretty substantially in his later career, he still had top success. Like, you could look at just his bantamweight career and still be thinking, wow, that's a really good career. Yeah, solid performance against Piotr and where he ultimately lost. And then... The three-fight winning streak against Chito Vera, Rob Font, and Pedro Munoz, extremely impressive for someone at that stage of their career going down a weight class and someone who people thought people thought was done years ago. Yeah, in another world, those could be like title defenses. Exactly. Because those are all very top-level fighters. Um, I'm glad that he's moving on to his career where he's now going to go fight like Jake Paul or some shit. Yeah, I feel like it was exactly the right time. You know, that, that Marab loss wasn't a hideous beating or anything but it was just like yeah you just kind it was of, just kind of an embarrassing performance just kind of let, let, let a fight go uh against someone who any, anywhere near your prime you would have just completely styled on 
Yeah, even if you fought him like two fights ago, it would have been like an easy win. You'd assume. Yeah, he made, he wanted to make one last run for the title, and it didn't happen. And uh, I'm glad he chose now to move on. And yeah, uh, Jose Aldo versus Floyd Mayweather. Eh? Is that gonna happen? Uh, probably. I I don't know. Or do like Aldo versus fucking Tension or some shit. Who cares? Put him against anyone in a weird exhibition match, and I'll watch. <laughs> yeah. Or, or just don't, because <laughs> he's he's fought enough. But you know, whatever he wants to do. Uh, okay, so the fights, uh, the the ones that happened last weekend. Corey Sandhagen uh, defeated Song Yudong by a cut stoppage in the fourth round, which Corey Sandhagen seemed to be like kind of disappointed about, which is which is dumb. You won a fight by inflicting damage on your opponent to uh, to the point that the officiators of the fight decided that he was not able to continue fighting that's a valid win condition in the sport and I don't really I don't really understand that being seen as anticlimactic particularly when like this was the kind of cut where I saw it the, the cut happened in the second round and after the second round I was like oh they're probably going to have to stop this fight and then they stopped it after the fourth round <laughs> um it was a pretty good fight it was a. It showed a lot of like tactical strengths and like weakness in strategic cohesion from both fighters. I thought, even though it was just like a, a pretty solid performance from two two very good bantamweights. You know, Corey Sandhagen did a lot of the stuff that we thought was going to be a problem for Song Yudong, just like you know, really working his reach to not really give him counter opportunities but then also be ready when Song was coming in. You know, of course, you know, landed several like elbows just stepping in as, as Song was like blitzing with his face forward. Uh, and <clears throat> of course, badly cut Song with, with one in the second round, which ultimately was what led to the fight being stopped. And it wasn't absolutely disgusting cut. Like it was a huge gash directly above the eye, just streaming blood into Song's eye and mouth. It, it was it was uh, it was pretty gross and definitely changed the shape of the fight and the way that Song was able to perform after that uh, and you know he had a solid early couple rounds but was really just like not taking the back foot you know, standing his ground against Corey and just like creating good counter opportunities when he could. Um, th- there was a really nice moment in the second round where he just like fucking teleported behind Corey Sandhagen and blasted him with a left hook that. I don't know, maybe, maybe looked like it hurt Corey more more than it did. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought Song looked looked pretty solid until probably a combination of him just like getting tired of having to fight at pace with one of the highest output fighters probably in the sport, um, and also just the fact that uh, his uh, face was absolutely streaming with blood and he couldn't see. What do you think of the fight, Christian? I thought it was a pretty confusing performance by both. Oh yeah, because also Corey like, wrestled a bunch and it didn't work at all. Yeah, I didn't really get why he was sticking to that so much and not really trying to build off of it offensively. It seemed like Corey's kind of trying to figure out where he fits into the division as a decision winner on not just a finisher. But I feel like he needs to just try and finish people and stop... Uh, I don't know, to just stop losing the rounds where he's trying to finish people more so than stop trying to finish people. 
because it, it didn't win help round, him win rounds by trying to get the finish that's completely valid yeah and i, I thought song Yudong fought way too much as the b-side in the matchup like he was because he's the rank 10 versus the rank four he was being given an opportunity that he was close to to earning but like he Corey Sandigan's like pretty substantial of a step up so he he just played the b-side too much he was waiting for sandy to decide all the terms of pretty much every exchange uh he got a few good moments in but that's just because in a vacuum he's a good counter puncher anytime sandy set up any anything the body it was pretty free for him anytime he wanted to enter for a takedown he wasn't really getting shut down from that just seemed like song didn't prepare enough for what sandy actually does and was more just expecting to find a counter. And then, after the second round, he had the cut, and he said he couldn't really see much from that side. So, that kind of explains away the third and fourth. But in the first two rounds, he could have done more. And uh, it just seemed like a very directionless performance from him, in a way that's not conducive to becoming uh, like an elite fighter, I think. But he has the athletic uh, competency, and you know, the youth on his side to eventually become something more than he is. But for now, I think he should, he should fight someone that's good, but not great because he's fought people that are good, but he hasn't fought anyone good. That's like athletic. Yeah. There was the win over Julio Arce, who's obviously a very good fighter, but just could not deal with, with the absolute athletic golf in that matchup. And then, then there was the, the absolute ghost of Marlon Marias, who just, uh, it got, got got destroyed immediately. Obviously, Marlon Marais in his prime was an f- absolutely ridiculous athlete in his own right, but um, he also just got tagged with a right hand from Song Yudong in like the first minute, and the fight was just done there because Marlon Marais has had no confidence since the Henry Cejudo fight. Yeah, and I, I feel like even though Marais is very athletic, he's so past it that it just doesn't really even count for him because that was obviously what was going to happen in that fight. Yeah. And Julio Arce is a good fighter, but he's not athletic enough to really enforce the fact that he's a kind of difficult style matchup for Song in theory. Yeah, and before that was the fight where Song Yudong kind of got styled on by Kyle Phillips. Yeah, yeah, the Casey Kenny fight where he went to decision. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was, it was a split, and Casey Kenny's a good fighter, but he's not so good that someone of Song... I, I kind of just don't get why you, Song was given a fight against Corey Sanhagen. Yeah, you you would expect... Uh, you You would expect Song to blow Casey Kenny out of the water. Like at this point, night, yeah. D- d- despite you know, Casey Kenny being a decent fighter in his own right, and I, I didn't mind this uh, booking, and you know, just generally some of the bookings that are happen- happening at Bantamweight because Bantamweight is being booked for movement. Like this fight and uh, like <laughs> Sean O'Malley versus Piotihan, probably shouldn't. I mean, that fight definitely shouldn't be happening. That's an absolute slaughter. But at least we're not in the situation that kind the welterweight has been in for a long time and lightweight is kind of in now where there's just like five guys who only fight each other and nobody can get matchups with those guys so i don't i don't mind these kind of bookings like stuff's going on at bantamweight and it's cool but yeah song you don't probably you know needs a step back in the rankings Shit, let me get rankings up. song i feel like fought like he didn't deserve the matchup and was just trying to kind of fight off of a puncher's chance when he had more to give in the matchup. Also, it may well have been that he was just, like, trying to pace himself for a five-round fight. And, yeah. Uh, 
got cut really bad in the second round. <laughs> so he ended up not being able to do the stuff that he would have wanted to do in the third and fourth round because he couldn't see, like, at all. And regardless of his, I thought his, his defense looked pretty good. Although, it did, yeah. Regardless of his reasoning for it, though, I feel like it was just him fighting a losing fight because he didn't really know what to do to fight a winning fight. Corey was showing his level to some degree. He was doing like really nice work to the body, but it was kind of too few and far between. Uh, there was parts where he, he was getting his opponent to the fence and then uh, like ducking in under a punch and throwing a right hook to the body or you know tying up the hands and then throwing a left hook to the body or and a few nice straights. But his body work was just like single shots or you know find one moment and a guy, a guy like song Yudong is just too durable to really get worn down by that and at a certain point it felt like Corey sandhagen was at parody for being tired with song he just has a style yeah. that fits better when you're tired yeah and just has the experience going a hard you know five hard rounds again yeah in really elite bantamweights but uh, it was also the most that thought, Corey's was... grappled over a five-round fight or just in a fight. In yeah, that, that, I did think that was an issue for Corey Sandhagen because he really invested in grappling, which I kind of thought made sense in the early rounds, even if he wasn't actually establishing any positions off of it, just because it's like, yeah, tie up with the really explosive guy who you've seen fade in three round fights before. Like just take take away some of that some of that explosion early. But he he kept going to it and it was almost always to his detriment because he's just like, Oh yeah, I gotta I gotta do stuff to win rounds, but like I think his time would have been spent, almost certainly would have been spent better just up punching his opponent in the mouth to try and win the rounds because every takedown attempt would get stuffed and would either end up with them in the clinch where Song was actually the one who was more consistent about breaking on uh, breaking clinches with offense, um, or he would just lose grappling. He would just lose scrambles and end up on bottom. And at one point, got his back taken. So, like, and probably just got tired trying to out wrestle the absolute fucking hoss who's been a team alpha male fighter for several years now. So, I wasn't too sure about that. And also the fact that he started getting really hard reactions about Song Yudong uh, from Song Yudong off of like takedown threats that he wasn't really like connecting to the rest of his offense in any meaningful way. Like there's a moment where he faints a takedown and Song Yudong like face plants the floor sprawling so hard on a shot that isn't there. And he doesn't really start like, you know, connecting that to his striking offense in meaningful ways. And I thought it showed just how much of an MMA fight it was that Corey was switching stances a lot of the time pointlessly. Like he had good moments where he'd switch stance and then get quick offense off, but him just switching stances confused Song Yudong's shot selection and ability to come forward so much. And a lot of Corey's switching stance was just so he could throw a left kick to the body or so that he could uh, occasionally throw it up to the head and just hit the guard or so he could throw a, a lead hook as he's stepping away. Yeah, I mean, it is just kind of a good thing to do against Song because, like, Song wants to plan and get in, get in exchanges or and, straight line blitz. Yeah, and and if you and like particularly when he's trying to when he's trying to set exchanges up, it if as soon as he like puts his feet in position, 
you just switch stance. He's like, oh, well, fuck, the, oh, the foot position is different now. I've got to move my feet again before I throw. And then you can just jab him and then, or, or, or do a left body kick and then be over there. Um, you know, even, even though Song does have like a decent understanding about like what he wants to do in different stance matchups, just like it's just, it's just a thing that works in MMA. You just like switch yeah. stance constantly, and it, your and your opponent will just it will really throw your opponent's shot selection off, and it'll confuse them, especially if you're like constantly switching. Which in the third round, I think it was Corey would switch stances every three seconds, looking like Lando Venata. It it was just very strange how much of an MMA fight it seemed like from Corey Sandhagen, because normally he'll just uh, kind of fight to his strengths in a vacuum as the fight goes on, and if you change the lane that the fight's going in, going in on, he'll just be very good from there. Like, he had uh, the, a Sunset performance where anytime they started grappling, he didn't really want to, but he would look very competitive in the grappling, or he had a pretty much pure striking matchup with... Uh, with Yan, aside from a few takedown entries, when Yan got over excited and Sandy just wanted to tie him up, or after he got hurt in the striking and then got grappled in the fourth round, so it was uh, it just seemed uncharacteristic of Corey to be fighting such a decision-winning performance in this fight, and I wasn't a fan of that. But overall, the fight was good. It just it doesn't really hold up on rewatch as much as it did live because you know what's happening, and there was just kind of no way that Corey was ever going to get a finish with the way he was fighting. And Song Yudong doesn't have the consistency to actually finish Corey, even if he does start getting good offense against him. Yeah. So um, in terms of the guys moving forward, uh, I think Song Yudong, I think a step back would be reasonable. Something like Adrian Yanez would be pretty sick. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. Maybe even like Ricky Simone. And as for Corey Sandhagen, just have him fight Cheeto Vera, unless Cheeto Vera is just going to like get put straight in the next title shot, which I'd also be fine with. If not, I guess Corey's got to fight Marab. Um, and then the co main event, uh, Gregory Rodriguez uh, also got his fucking face ripped off. Uh, imagine like looking at Song Yudong's face at the end of this fight and then being like, yeah, this was not anywhere near the grossest cut on this card. Oh yeah, just like really early uh, in the first round, uh, Chidi Njokwani was doing a good job of just like working Gregory Rodriguez with kicks from range. And as soon as Gregory Rodriguez shot for a double leg, uh, Chidi just timed him perfectly with just like a step in knee, like like uh, hit Gregory Rodriguez straight between the eyes as he was shooting in, and yeah, absolutely fucking sliced the shit out of him. Uh, but Gregory Rodriguez is a fucking madman. Uh, Njokwani was just doing really well with his range strikes and was dominating the first couple minutes or first three minutes or so. And then Rodriguez found a single moment as they were leaving a like kind of tie-up exchange and it, it hurt Chidi. And then for the rest of the fight, it was just Chidi on the back foot even when he was getting success. Uh, Rodriguez, once he started going forward, he just stayed going forward. You start really aggressively pursuing clinches and in, in, into trip takedowns, which also I think uh, threw Chidi off a good bit. And Chidi was getting good knees in the clinch, but they weren't that good, and they were kind of just like like a nagging attacks more so than something that's actually going to lead to success against a guy like Rodriguez. 
Rodriguez just going forward and like trying to close the distance against a very long fighter was the key to victory, and he just had to maintain it. Yeah, and like once Rodriguez got good positions on the ground, kind of as we suspected, he could do pretty much whatever he wanted. And yeah, well, uh, finished Chidi in the second round. What a fucking warrior. I love Gregory Rodriguez. He he truly is like the, the second coming of Jacare. And uh, Andre Feely fought Bill Algio. He kind of beat the fuck out of him, right? Yeah, I think they both looked decent. It was just Feely was just more experienced at a like upper mid level of featherweight. Yeah, as I said, it was one of those things where it's like um, these guys want to have like roughly the same fight. So, do you pick like the younger, crazier, more dangerous guy, or do you just pick the guy who's way more experienced at having that kind of fight? And it was obviously just Andre Feely. Uh, you know, he just hurt Bill Algio with a high kick in the first round, but Bill Algio. Uh, fucking crazy tough. Um, mostly was just, just able to bop him up, and Bill Algio being a guy who relies on like just endless wacky scrambles of his grappling defense, just, just like Andre Feely being just like yeah, I've been at Team Alpha Male for like ten years. This shit's not going to work. Like I'm actually one of the people in this division who can just hold you posi- in positions, and um. You know, had Bill Algio's back for a good bit of, I want to say, the third round, but did definitely get put off of uh, finishing any kind of joke attempts from Bill Algio's savage overcuts from the back. Yeah, I actually did score that round for Bill Algio. He was beating the knew, fucking shit I out of Feely with overcuts. You would have scored Bill Algio that that round for Bill Algio. Yeah, I'd forgot. I'd forgotten about that until you mentioned it. But he was like knocking Feely's head back a lot. He was limiting Feely's offense because of how much he was fucking him up with it. Yeah, Algio has got a great frame for getting overcuts off, um, and he had also been cut really bad, and in that position was just also bleeding all over Andre Feely's face. This card was a a fucking bloodbath. It was disgusting. Yeah, I also didn't really see the split decision. I guess it's an Andre Feely fight and it always has to be a split, but it was pretty comprehensive performance, I thought. Uh, yeah, Joe Pfeiffer knocked out uh, Alan Amadovsky. Uh, yeah, Joe Pfeiffer uh, looks pretty good. He, yeah, he, see- he seemed like a very likable guy. And and he was fighting a guy that was kind of markedly smaller than him frame-wise and yeah, probably smaller for the weight. And has literally no defense. Yeah, you just got to be long and set up a, a single shot. Sometimes you don't even got to be long. We'll get into that. Um, uh, Tanner Boza for uh, Rodrigo Nascimento. Um, Christian. Uh, it, was, it was a slight robbery. Uh, I'm not going to like go too hard on it because it definitely wasn't close to as much of a robbery as the Lee Latifi fight. I just, was pretty bad. I just thought Boza won. But Nascimento did well, better than I expected by quite a lot. Uh, Bozer was just smaller and didn't really know what to do to navigate the size mismatch. He was like 20 or 30 pounds lighter. And like Bozer has good take on defense, but if you're that much larger than him, it, there's not that much he could even do. Like Daniel Cormier was doing pretty well in the commentators saying, yeah, like Bozer, if he was the same size as this guy, he could be defending from these positions uh, that Nascimento was getting. But because he was so much lighter, it just required so little effort on Nascimento's part to finish it once he got a grip. So, yeah, Bozer needs to just stop getting caught on bottom because he was winning the striking pretty much the entire time. And I scored the fight for him, uh, like, 2-1 or 3-0 or something. I I don't remember uh, exactly what I scored the second round. 
But Bozer would just, he just kind of got tagged at the end of the third, or at the beginning of the third, and that set him up to lose, because then he also spent some time on bottom, and though he built into it more and wasn't actually that hurt at the beginning of the round, it just was a bad look. Yeah, Bozer, I get that his shtick is that he he's like, oh, I, I'm a heavyweight, that's what I do, but Bozer just needs to get over it and stop being upset that he's a light heavyweight. Uh, Anthony Hernandez beat the absolute fuck out of Marc-Andre Barrio. This w- was a sick performance, and um, I think I think I just kind of didn't notice like this, uh, uh, like like kind of uh, Fluffy Hernandez's last performance in the UFC, just just because I think he probably just had shitty card placement and it wasn't a particularly notice- notable opponent. But looking at those couple of performances, I I, I never realized how much. I love Anthony Hernandez, not just because he submitted Adolfo Vieira, which is literally one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, he's just he's a, he's a fucking maniac, and he just like he he's like he's the ultimate MMA fighter, Christian. You know how, how I always talk about these MMA fighters, just like just like random like Midwestern American guys with names like Anthony Hernandez that just kind of j- just do MMA with like absolutely no like uh, strategic direction at all. It's like oh, I'll just I'll just do some boxing and some wrestling and some low kicks. Anthony Hernandez is like the ultimate evolution of that. Where he's just like I will just do all of the MMA until I find the thing that I can just fucking kill you with. <laughs> And and, and and just and I don't mean don't even mean like a, a singular read to to just get an instant finish. Just just like just what is the correct play to get a finish? Endlessly, yeah, just grind on his opponent and until uh, yeah, until they just can't fucking hang with him anymore. Great performance. Yeah, his wrestling looked phenomenal. He was doing really well punching into takedown attempts. He was riding really well like he just kept position or progressed to even stronger positions consistently throughout barrio was good at getting up but it was all pretty much in service of just getting more tired and worn down hernandez wasn't pursuing keeping him down that hard he was more just trying to make it difficult and then whenever they were clinching up uh, hernandez was just very safe and and got like kind of short offense off on the feet, he, he he was just very consistent and concise. Didn't really put himself in too much danger ever. He looked a lot more athletic than he has previously in this fight, though. Yeah, his gas tank is fucking redonkulous. Yeah, and he was very strong. He was lifting Barrio up in the first round, like just tipping him over. And then every time they tied up, looked very, very strong. Yeah, Mark Andre Barrio this is a solid, competent, well-rounded fighter, and to me, this is like a a much more impressive way to beat him than Chidi and Jaquani just like sparking Barrio with the first punch he threw in like sixteen seconds. So yeah, fucking get Fluffy some good matchups. He has deserved it since the Adolfo Vieira win. To be honest, I just I think he's one of those guys. He's like one of these one of these D Rod guys. He's just he's just like doesn't really care. Uh, Damon Jackson knocked out Pat Sabatini. That was neat and also pr- pretty impressive. Pat Sabatini uh, sort of quietly been establishing himself as one of the best prospects at featherweight. Uh, but this also just showed like 
Once again, well, you can't get too excited about really high-quality uh, grappling prospect at featherweight because Pat Sabatini, phenomenal grappler. His striking is not there, and he like he got knocked out like overthrowing a hook uh, into Damon Jackson, just like front-kicking him in the mouth like he was doing a weird uppercut counter, but with his foot. It was a very strange front kick, too. He was bent over very hard. Like, his torso was completely craned when he did it. Yeah, and then it, it took some ground strikes to get the job done, but it, the, the fight was pretty much done after the front kick. I don't, I don't know how much you go in, into, like, the fight tactically. It was over pretty quickly. Damon Jackson simply didn't get out-grappled uh, and knocked out the grappler. You know, Damon Jackson uh, also... Really, like, solid fighter. He's one of these guys who just... uh, It's, it's hard to see him, like making it into the elite of featherweight just because it's such a good division. You know, you know, one of these guys who will hang around and have some good wins, and if you took them out of the UFC, I'm, I'm, I'm sure would be, like, dominant in a smaller organization. But there's just kind of a ceiling of both technique and athleticism in a division as rich as, like, the UFC's featherweight division that they'll always hit. But that being said, get Damon Jackson a fight with Nate Landwehr, and if he wins that then he can challenge for Julian Arosa's 150-pound title. Eh? Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, Loma Lukbun Me had a good first round and then a not-so-good second and third round, but it didn't matter, and she got the win. Yeah, she won like pre- pretty easily. It definitely showed a lot of issues with Loma Lukbun Me as an MMA fighter. I still enjoyed it because I'm a Thai weeb. And any wins that the ties get in MMA is, I mean, it's just neat. It's never really going to be a thing just because of like the structure of Muay Thai. But, uh, oh, yeah, it was cool. You know, she was just doing the cool Muay Thai shit earlier, just fucking just like out kicking uh, Denise Gomes. Like she threw like one switch kick, and from that, every like hip feint she did, she could just like she had. Gomes biting so hard she could just do whatever she want like had like uh through a really nicely timed teep uh that uh knocked Denise Gomes over while she was throwing a kick which is classic Muay Thai shit that you never see in MMA um and then she just like started getting really easy takedowns out of the clinch and was just like okay I guess I'll grapple I've been working on this and it was there you really saw just like she she's just not quite there in that area of the game and she still has to think about like the space in between moves in a way that she doesn't in a, like like with her Muay Thai game. But then even her Muay Thai game is slightly like like slightly disjointed just because like women's Muay Thai is not as developed as it could be. So she kind of ends up having that thing where the thing that like people who've never watched Muay Thai think Muay Thai is where she's like really good in the clinch and has good kicks, but like has whack boxing and like no, no punching defense. Um, and also the fact that like her style as a Thai fighter, like uh, hilariously kind of relied on her being really big and strong compared to all of the people that she was fighting in Thailand. So I don't know if it's ever gonna be like uh, she she's a really ever really gonna be a thing in MMA, but it's it, it's it's always fun and like she she's improving, and um uh, she should fight Tabitha Ricci because that fight would be sick. Yeah, uh, Trey Ogden beat uh, Daniel Zellhuber. Yeah, that fight happened. Yeah, it was not bad. Uh, Zellhuber <laughs> kind of looked 
Jillian Robertson. Jillian Robertson fucking is ill. Um, this was a sick fight, and you know, uh, Maria Akapova definitely falls apart in fights, but it was not without adversity. She threw some absolutely sickening elbows as she was defending takedowns against Jill. Most of them illegal too. Yeah. Um, uh, but Jill just just kept at it and just like knew that you know she's seen uh, Maria Agapova fight and is like, oh no, if I if I can actually just drown this girl and get her in bad position, she will fall apart and I'm gonna get the finish. Uh, I hope they never cut Maria Agapova from the UFC because we've just never seen a glass cannon like this in WMMA and it's fucking spectacular. That she will fall apart not just if her opponent starts having too much success, but also if she starts having too much success, like. If she doesn't just finish you instantly, or the fight, uh, or like the fight barely like uh, comes above a bare simmer until she gets a random finish, she just everything just fucking unravels, and she just makes the worst decisions. I can't imagine. Apparently, she has been to decision like three times in her MMA career. I'm like, what does that look like? How does she? Go. To, how does she, she have a fight where she doesn't either finish or get finished? And Jillian is just like a very consistent grappler. And if you can't get space between you and her, even if you're beating her ass with elbows, unless you finish her, like she's she's still like fighting a winning fight. Like she'll get to you eventually. She's yeah. one of the better grapplers in the division by kind of finishes. a distance. She has the most finishes in the division. Yeah. And she, I mean, she just, her opponent turtled up a little bit and she got a choke. Yeah, she does. And also, she held on to the choke for a very long time. It was kind of a slow, like a late stoppage by the ref because of how much uh, Agapova resisted it. But she was dead to rights in the choke for like 20 seconds. And apparently Agapova had a seizure after this. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was like biting her tongue after her mouth guard spit out. It seemed like she was biting her tongue to... Like, kind of use her tongue as a mouth guard while she was in the choke to get some space on her neck, but it didn't work out, and then she just got choked out while biting her tongue, so not really a good gambit to play. Yeah, that sounds not ideal. Yeah, and uh, Javid Basharat looked fantastic against against Tony Gravely, who also looked pretty good. Yeah, Tony Gravely's a solid fighter, and Javid Basharat just fucking took him to school everywhere. Yeah, the first round was pretty difficult for him. Uh, he, He got his rhythm interrupted quite a few times but then once he like fully got going it was just pretty hard to stop him and uh basharat has very tight shot selection and it's also pretty varied uh like his shot selection is just very smart and he has a good sense of range and he's very fast and he has great eyes and pretty damn impressive to just comprehensively out grapple tony gravely as well yep he has a he looks like He's going to be really good. Yeah. And he, he's already very good. It just it looks like he has a very high ceiling. I'd like to see him get to a fight against, like, Sean O'Malley, you know? Yeah, for, you know, for a levels test. Yeah, I think he's, like, actually the same level as Sean O'Malley. That's fair. Probably better, like, in, in a vacuum at least. I mean, I haven't seen him against as many matchups, yeah. but... I think he definitely has a higher ceiling than Sean O'Malley. I think he might be flat out better than Sean O'Malley at this point. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I watched his contender series fight. I watched his UFC debut. Tony Gravely is a better fighter than Sean O'Malley has uh, 
actually beaten? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I I can't think of a single person Normally's beaten. Uh, Sean, we're not Sean talking Malley's about Sean O'Malley. Is, is, is it Halley on Piver? Yeah. Anyway, anyway, Nicholas Motta knocked out uh, Cameron Van Camp because Cameron Van Camp was, was, was a tall guy that was leaning back a bunch, and Motta's like a reasonably sharp puncher. Uh, you know, he's a pretty solid fighter. Um. Did you know? Don't uh, don't don't let him uh, getting like just thoroughly dismantled and knocked the fuck out by old ass Jim Miller, um, like like cloud your judgment. And you know, because he instantly was like, "Oh, I can throw away one thing and then step through into a hook and knock this guy out," and he did like really really easily in like three minutes. Yeah, in hindsight, it seems like a matchup that is very designed for Mata to just win by finish easily. Like, I can't really think of a matchup that's more tailor-made for him to get a finish. I mean, well, well he, I mean, he didn't throw it away, so... Yeah. Good, good on him. Yeah. It was, he looked fast, too. Okay, next card. Uh, this weekend, we've got a fight night main event. This is kind of a weird one. I don't really have a problem with it. I don't really have a problem with any main event that's just like top 10 fighters in a actually good division. We've got Mackenzie Dern versus Zhao Nan Yan. Uh, seems like a, like a pretty simple read, which is how long does Zhao Nan Yan bop Mackenzie Dern up for before she just gets instantly submitted? You know, Yan and Zhan, um, pr- pretty sharp boxer. She's very quick. Uh, she she's like uh, pretty good with her foot positioning and you know throws like nice tight combinations. She's got a good jab, um, and she's she's got good like in and out footwork and is like uh, able to dictate the terms of exchange as well. And just get like quick three twos off and then just get out of range. And then Mackenzie Dern um, is just uh, extremely aggressive and athletic and just like powerful. And has the confidence that if it goes to the ground at all, she's basically going to win instantly. Um, here's, here's the thing about that: Zhao Yan, very good, like defensive wrestler. She's a good scrambler, but she did get like once Carla Esparza established like an actual position on Yan, she looked absolutely lost at sea. Like once Carla was able to get past that initial scramble, and it did take Carlos Barza chaining together like three different takedown entries, which like there's actually not that many wrestlers of that quality at uh, women's strawweight. And I wouldn't necessarily say that Mackenzie Dern is one of them, but she's just so dangerous on the ground. And uh, MMA's weird, and sometimes like people just fall over. Or, you know, or, you know, Mackenzie Dern will actually just jump guard and she's one of the people who can get away with it. There's also not an indistinct chance that Mackenzie Dern just being so committed to coming forward and throwing hard that she just buzzes Yan on the feet just because Yan uh, doesn't have great defense, Um, you know, mostly relies on that kind of like quick distant management, which works for her a lot of the time because she fights like, um, you know, so, something that I kind of like to see in these divisions 
she she doesn't approach exchanges like her opponent is like fucking Francis Ngannou. Like like she she's not afraid to throw down with people. But Mackenzie Dern, yeah, she just she, she just hits hard. And 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 and, and she's only hit harder coach. as she's started training with uh oh, fuck, what's his name? Jason Perillo. Jason Perillo. Yeah. Um and you know, you know, she, even though it doesn't look pretty, she has an idea of what she's trying to accomplish on the feet. And if it crashes into clinches, then yeah, she's got she's got options about how to get it to the ground from there. Um, you know, and you know, she badly hurt Tisha Torres on the feet just just with that kind of insistence. And Tisha Torres is like one of the more skilled strikers in the division, just like flat out. So, I think I gotta pick Mackenzie Dern, even though it has been shown by like. Marina Rodriguez and Tisha Torres, that if you're just like a solid MMA grappler, you can hang with Mackenzie Dern on the ground. But it's not like an element of a winning performance. Like Tisha Torres lost that fight and Marina Rodriguez ended up taking over that fight over five rounds. But it took a round of her just like constantly fighting off submissions and clearly losing every position and just surviving and like getting into later rounds where Mackenzie Dern seemed to lose interest in the fight somewhat. This is also like Mackenzie Dern can be somewhat weird and inconsistent. I think Mackenzie's inconsistency is more so uh, how she's going to react to the fight not going great for immediately. Not in the yeah, she's break, going to be getting but... tagged up a lot early in the first round. Yeah, it seems like if you keep up uh, tagging her up, then she's going to like really try and win but if if you kind of let the fight go slow you can like uh i i think the difference between the tisha torres fight and the marina rodriguez fight was that tisha was like she tried to kind of blow through her a bit uh or not really blow through her, but just like easily win and Mackenzie's not going to let you do that, whereas Marina Rodriguez was really trying to fuck her up, but not really pushing it too hard. She more just got some good offense off and then stayed tight and, and didn't really like give Mackenzie very much respect, whereas Tisha was giving Mackenzie a lot of respect, necessarily, because she was a lot smaller. I also but, have to wonder if um, the Marina Rodriguez fight was part of Mackenzie Dern realizing that like she doesn't have to finish a submission for her jujitsu to be a winning condition because like whenever you're in whenever you're on in like extended ground positions with Mackenzie Dern, it is it is purely defensive because, you know, she's not one of these like MMA jujitsu savants who just fucking pulls guard and does a triangle, then an arm bar, and then is just stuck in guard and is out of ideas and you can just beat them up. Like every every submission threat is an actual threat, and every escape puts you in a position where she can threaten something new. And if you don't just fucking disengage, you are constantly losing those positions, and people will just throw throw away rounds defending submissions against Mackenzie Dern. And I wonder if she just kind of realized that against Tisha Torres, and was cool to just like keep doing stuff and and didn't just fall apart when she didn't get the submission. I don't know when you know you know spending a whole round on on the ground with someone and getting all of the positions she would normally need and it just not panning out for her and being like, oh, well, fuck, I guess I'll just lose a striking matchup for the last three rounds then. Yeah, it's very possible that 
Yan will look much worse on the feet than we're anticipating just off of being anxious that she's going to get grappled. Because Dern is a lot better at striking than Yan is at grappling, I think. Uh, almost certainly. Like I said, like I say, if it gets past that initial scramble, you know, Mackenzie Dern, yeah, not, not the world's greatest defensive wrestler, but it, it's just such an instantaneous threat when it hits the ground that it almost doesn't seem to matter. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say Mackenzie Dern uh, second round submission. I'm going to say Mackenzie Dern first round submission. That's fair. Really, the only reason I'm thinking second is because I think it's possible that Yan will defend a takedown and then just uh like just, like stay really far away for the first round or maybe look like she's about to get subbed at the end of the first and then actually get subbed like midway through the second and wouldn't even necessarily need to be a takedown like i honestly wouldn't be surprised if dern just like pulls guard into a weird leg entanglement and just gets a heel hook out of nowhere this, this is one of those fighters where you actually can't rule that shit out yeah, I think that uh, Carlos Barza's grappling style lends itself better to getting a submission over Yan than Dern's does. Like, Dern's better at jiu-jitsu, but... She'll actually just hold you down and beat the fuck out of you. Yeah, or arm triangle you or something. Yeah, yeah, instead of just, like, letting you, like, flow between these positions where she, she can attack different stuff. You know, that, that, that might just be a really unique matchup that just made Yan look a lot more limited than she may actually be. But we got... Before that, Randy Brown versus Tr Francisco Trinaldo, which is either Trinaldo knocks Randy Brown out so hard that his soul leaves his body momentarily, or Randy Brown stays on the outside and really easily wins at range and maybe gets a finish. Yeah, I don't feel like uh, Trinaldo is going to enjoy the, the range disparity in this fight. I think there's a reason he didn't want to go up to welterweight for a long time, and Randy Brown is a long old boy. And then there's also like, <laughs> does Randy Brown can consistently fight out out of either stance? No, but he's really good uh, from both. I, I guess I I just think he's gonna get Trinaldo reaching a lot pretty immediately, and then get him with like a knee or or just a straight shot. Even the front kick's gonna be there. Yeah, particularly if he does spend a lot of time southpaw and push Trinado in the close stance where he's just like, fuck, how do I land my left hand like this? And, and, and normally just throw the kick and then and then do do a big old big old looping left hand through the open side. Now I've got to get past the lead shoulder. This is fucking bullshit. Yeah, and Ready Round is a is a very good fighter. Um, he just kind of scares me a lot because I like him, and whenever I'm watching him fight, I'm just like, oh, dude, you're going to get hit by something as you're leaving range at some point. And it has happened to him before, but it hasn't happened in a while, and he's made pretty substantial strides in his game since then. So he's really good. I, I have uh, high hopes for him even if this one doesn't pan out, but Trinaldo is a guy who definitely can catch you if you're you have that type of liability with your defense. But he's looked better and better about handling that. Like, like against Chaos Williams, he was really difficult to hit. So hopefully that spells good things for this fight for him. Yeah, I mean, Randy Brown has been like reasonably consistent other than like the incredibly weird loss to Nico Price and just getting like a, like pushed back and absolutely destroyed by uh, Vicente Luke, which was, you know, what? 
Yeah, and Trinaldo's a, a good striker overall, but he's not really a... Like, he's not going to walk you down in the way that Luke can, and he's yeah. probably going to have to find moments rather than consistent beat, beating him down. Yeah, and he just, he's just, like... Like, he's good, like, within the confines of his skill set where it works, and he's he's got, like, you know, solid footwork and positioning and stuff, but, like, he is still fairly limited and if you take away the like the few tactics that he really thrives on he does have a pretty hard time and he's fucking ancient how old is francisco trinaldo now old 44 yeah he's Quite, he's also a, a counter puncher who tends to prefer reach parity or yeah, like a slight really reach like- like or like being slightly less long whereas this fight is going to be a dramatic uh reach difference and also height yeah. difference yeah and he's never really liked pushing that much of a pace so yeah i think you gotta take randy brown to to pick francisco trinaldo apart from the outside yeah it, it feels like a fight randy brown was kind of built to win at this stage of his career then again, Trinaldo can always surprise you because he is very. Though he prefers to be at reach parity, he can fuck people up if they are long and kind of don't recognize how close he is to them. Because Trinaldo can be sneaky sometimes, and Definitely. you know, a, a career of being a counterpuncher is going to pay off against any matchup, even if it's a kind of difficult one in theory. It's a good old man style. Um, John Castaneda is fighting Daniel Santos. That's cool. I like John John Castaneda. Yeah, it should be a neat uh, fight. I don't really have analysis for it. I just I'm yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Daniel Santos clearly really likes Charles Oliveira, and John Castaneda, I think, is like. I, I, I need more data on this, but I think he's actually like one of the more like strategically adaptable fighters in the sport. It really seems like he actually like does his homework on his opponents and tailors his approach to them. Uh, like, so, uh, but you know, I don't know how much of that is just him like ending up having the fight that his opponent wants to have, and him just like finding ways to win or uh, or or not win sometimes. <laughs> uh, but, but, but you know, he, yeah, da- Daniel Santos looked. I mean, I mean, uh, Julio Arce was like an absolute nightmare matchup for Daniel Santos to get in his uh, UFC debut. He, he just still looked pretty green i think john castaneda should be able to take that one hanny barcelos is fighting trevin jones hanny barcelos should win easily but trevin jones sometimes knocks people out by accident trevin so. jones i think is large think enough. Gonna happen? i think he's large enough and he's very dangerous he is hanny barcelos also you know doesn't necessarily push the kind of pace that's going to drown trevor jones but he also does have pretty good defense his issue is normally like getting stuck doing defense too much and letting people who push a pace on him like get ahead on optics i don't think trevor jones is going to do that so like if you're relying on just getting a random knockout like uh, i think i think should should be able to just like pick trevor jones apart yeah, and like the the loss to to Basharat for Trevin Jones, I, I feel like doesn't really even say much about it. No, Basharat, as we said, I, I, like has a lot of potential in the UFC, and 
fought the kind of fight against Trevin Jones that I don't necessarily expect Hany Barcelos to have. I don't even think he's able to fight that type of fight. Like they're just drastically different style matchups. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, Hany Barcelos, he's going to have good defense, but he's going to let Trevin Jones hang around. He's, he's, you know, he, he he's going to give him space to set stuff up, and I think Barcelos is going to be wise to it. But Trevin Jones is just, it's fucking dangerous. Yeah, Honey, Honey has has good potential to win the fight cleanly, but I think Trevin Jones is going to make it spicy. He's probably at least going to have a moment. Sadiq Yusuf is fighting a guy because fucking Geek Chikadze pulled out, so he's fighting some guy, whatever. Mike Davis is fighting Vyacheslav Borshev. Our fucking boy, Slava Claus, he's back. He got wrestled up by Mark Casey. It'd be like that, whatever. Mike Davis is just going to bang with him. Mike Davis isn't going to take him down, is he? Uh, I think he's. there's a good chance he could mix it up, but I don't think he's going to uh, like try and leverage that as a full game plan. I think it's more just he'll exchange with him, and then if stuff gets difficult, he'll shoot for a takedown a little bit. But I don't know. It's it's like a incredibly well matched fight. I think it's going to be a fucking war. Yeah, probably because Mike Davis is also uh, extremely durable and is probably going to give uh, Borshev exactly the kind of fight that he wants to have, but also be extremely fast and athletic. And you know, but Borshev is no uh, defensive savant himself. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I even. Yeah, it's. it's it, yeah, this fight. It's just going to be a banger. Just watch it. It's going to be sick. It's probably going to be a lot of, of guys getting clipped at the end of exchanges. I always got a ride for Slava Claus because because we picked him from Contender Series on on the first episode of the show, and he got a sick finish. So, whatever. Let's go. Uh, Randy Costa's fighting Guido Canetti. This is exactly the kind of fight that Randy Costa can win by high kick knockout. But also, Guido Canetti, he's, uh, he, he tries his fucking best, and I think that he actually might be able to win it, just yeah, on effort. Um, yeah, you know, he is old, not that durable, but he's still, like, he's pretty fast. He, like, he's always been a good athlete. And he hasn't had a very extensive career at all. Like, he's been fighting for a long time, but he, I mean, aside from training damage, he doesn't actually have that many fights. Or that much yeah. wear and tear. No. Um, but uh, I just don't know if he's the kind of guy who can either survive a first round against Randy Costa in order to make the reads that you need late to just destroy Randy when he starts capitulating or to just be able to fucking put a pace on him like from the first round. Um. To, to to just break Randy Costa before he ever starts getting any weird shit going. But I do basically expect Randy Costa to lose pretty much every fight where he doesn't get an early knockout. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's, a, it's a well-matched fight, to be honest. Yeah, I could see anything happening. Christoph Yakto versus Brendan Allen is kind of interesting. Christian, you you are the... Christoph Yotko whisperer here. So like I don't know, shed some light on this one for me because I don't know. Uh, I think I don't that know. I think that Alan is I going always pick to pick against Christoph Yotko and he's winning. I don't well, get it. I think that Brendan Allen is going to be trying really hard for the open side kick. Uh but I don't know. I just think it's gonna be too difficult for Allen to get past 
Yatko's very neutralizing style, and I think Yatko is at least going to make the fight slower, even if he doesn't just win. But this one, I'm going to pick Yatko. Like, I, I feel like I have he's one of the weird fighters where I have a very strong read on his style, but I pick him wrong all the time. So, like, I'll just see what he does and know exactly what he does, but I just can't interpret how that's going to work into a matchup very well. And I, I am having that difficulty with this fight because I don't really know what Alan's going to bring to the table. I think Alan's going to come in with intensity that's going to get shut down pretty immediately. Uh, I think if they grapple, it's going to make Brendan Allen look a lot worse than he actually is at grappling. That's just what Christoph Yako does. He makes people look worse than they are. Yeah, even if he doesn't win. And uh, a lot of time he does win. So Yeah. Um, and there's a fucking bunch of other fights. Whatever. This podcast long enough. Who cares? But Alexi Hynek is fighting Alir Latifi. Alir Latifi gonna get submitted. Like, uh, he, Mate, but But, like, how? Like, how do you submit a bowling ball? When your only thing is strength submissions, is he gonna have to like literally crush him? Also, real possibility Lira Latifi is just strong enough to compete because Alexi Olenek is getting older and older, and Lira Latifi deadlifts seven thousand pounds. Yeah, but I don't, he doesn't have the kind of actual like applicable grappling strength that Olenek does. Yeah, and I am wondering. Just, and like you know, Jared Vanderer is a fucking. He's like a good grappler and. Him getting good positions on Alinek was a fucking death sentence. Yeah, I do feel like it's possible Alir is just gonna try and sprawl and brawl, which could be a winning strategy for him. Just I think he's gonna do that though. Like, I, 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 I think he is definitely gonna go for takedowns, and you know, if if you know if he gets mount on on Alinek, it could get spicy for Latifi. You know, you know, like. Yeah, I have a feeling are you, this... Are you really not going to pick a lineup by submission? I am going to, but I do think that this fight has very strong, like, Hani Yaya fight potential. Where it's it's like, yeah, the jiu-jitsu guy's there, but he's... and Except they're very different jiu-jitsu guys, or styles. But, very different. But the, the premise of really old guy who does submissions versus guy that's jacked as shit and also generally hard to submit, I think it could no, be No, you're rough. right. He, he, for some reason, I thought Latifi had a, a submission losses on his record, but I mean... You know, he's just doesn't have, dense doesn't, as fuck. Doesn't have a neck. Yeah, like, where do you submit him? His arm, he can curl you. If you try and armbar him, he is impossible to to arm triangle. Or if anyone can, it will be Alexi Olenek. Yeah, what about the scaffold? I mean, how are you going to get past the pecs? Maybe him having such large pecs is going to get him choked. Who knows? Exactly. But, you just fuck it. You just fucking squeeze it. Yeah, you just smother you himself just, like, you, with you, how you, strong yeah, you just, his you, pecs you, you, are. Uh, Jessica Penne is fighting Tapitha Ricci. Not a bad fight. <laughs> no, I'm into it. That's a podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and all of the other great stuff that the fight site puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where a pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of fantastic, high-quality analytical fight content, as well as access to a Discord server where you can talk to all of the fight site boys. We have a great community of int- interesting fight fans. We always have great discussions. Get together in the VCs and watch fights. It's a, it's a great place. Hang out and talk to staff. Yep. 
And just to plug something at the end, uh, remember to donate any money that you can or are willing to spend to Tumen, a fight site contributor who is uh, going through some tough shit currently and is trying to flee flee a country with war going on. So if you have anything to spare, you know, send a little bit of money his way. This has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. You can catch us next week where as well as recapping anything cool that happens on that card that we just talked about, we are going to be doing a preview of... What's the next card? Alexa Grasso versus Viviane Araujo? Yep. We'll see you guys later. Peace. Later.